Father, thank you very much for just this time, Lord God, as we seek your glory. Father God, it's the reason why we gather each and every week, Lord God, because you are magnificent. Father God, there is nothing greater than we can celebrate than who you are. In your perfection, Lord God, in your beautiful nature, Lord God, you came to the lowliest of sinners, Lord God, which we are all wretched sinners. Father God, and you broke the chains and you have rescued us and you have restored us and redeemed us, Lord God. For those of us who are in Christ, Lord God, we have much to be thankful for, much to praise. Father God, let it not just be hands that are lifted, Lord God, but hearts that are lifted in this moment. As we dive into your word, Lord God, help our hearts to magnify you in all things. Holy Spirit, uh, work in us. As we are struggling, Lord God, and knowing that uh, we fall so far short, Father, I just pray that your love would just overwhelm us. That the joy of our salvation would be our strength, Lord God, and we can go throughout each and every week and handle no matter what it is that Satan would bring our way. We are in Luke 19, so if you want to go ahead and turn with me, that's where we're at, Luke 19. And if you've been with us over the last few weeks, uh, we've just finished a series uh, called Bad Religion. And as I was kind of working through the text uh, this morning, uh, what I wanted to really showcase is that as we're pulling away from bad religion, which dealing with this uh, threat of legalism and really this false idea of Christianity that is completely works-based, uh, as if you can do uh, salvation on your own apart from Christ, uh, what I wanted to do is really just present to you a picture of the exact opposite of that and what true religion looks like in, uh, in the story of Zacchaeus uh, this morning. So in Luke 19, beginning in verse 1, that's where we're going to read uh, and start from. But uh, before we dive in, really, I just want to challenge you. Uh, when, we, when we dive into a text like Zacchaeus, uh, it's familiar to a lot of us. If you've grown up around the church, so you've probably heard this story. And what happens when we come across familiar texts is we tend to check out and tune out. And I would just challenge you to stop. Do not think so lightly over the text that the scriptures have given us, but to see that all of these are for our good and for uh, good pleasure to the Lord. Uh, so stop in thinking for a moment. So today, really, I want to uh, stir you back up in the things of the Lord as we kind of ended one series and we'll begin into another. Uh, I want to end on really just a, kind of a high note. And as Peter would encourage the believers, so I want to encourage you today. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent in to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail uh, or fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. <clears throat> and that's my hope as a pastor as we dive into our text this morning. 
So for many of you, I pray that this morning will help to really further solidify you in your faith, right, in this wonderful gift of salvation that you have received, Uh, that this time will encourage you to think more deeply, right, about the beautiful mystery of salvation. Uh, But for others of you this morning, I pray that the scales will finally fall off from your eyes. We've been working through this this toxic religion that we've been talking about over the last few weeks of uh, man-centered, works-based salvation, that I pray that the scales would finally fall off. You've been playing church this entire time, but you have never encountered the redeemed, alive, seated at the right hand of the Lord, Savior Jesus Christ. You've never been redeemed. You've never been changed. You've only been in your own, in your own little bubble. You've missed the Savior standing right before you. But I pray like Zacchaeus, you can see the Savior for the first time. So, background in Luke 19. Luke is recording the travel narrative of Jesus leading up to the last week of his life. Uh, The setting is Jericho, which is the last stop before entering into Jerusalem. And Jericho, at this point in time, had a lot of money pumped into it. So, the Herods had dumped uh, a lot of money into this trade town now. So, it makes a lot of sense why Zacchaeus would be classified as a rich tax collector. He had a lot of revenue streams coming in. Uh, The narrative precedes Christ's weeping over Jerusalem, and the cleansing of the temple, uh, which is where he seeks to reestablish worship once and for all for all people. So I do not believe it is by accident that the Lord providentially brings salvation to Zacchaeus, who was a big sinner just before entering into Jerusalem. It shows us that the most despicable, wicked, and vilest of sinners can receive life through salvation in Christ, and that includes all of those religious elites that were trailing him in pestering him. The life of Zacchaeus was a living invitation to enter into the Savior's rest. It is also providential that preceding this event, we see parables of different events uh, that really confounded the religious elites and their presuppositions as to who can actually enter into this kingdom. And so we're going to dive into a lot of these that are around the text because I believe the Lord would have it to really emphasize what actually is happening in Zacchaeus's life. God clearly chose this particular moment with this particular purpose to showcase his glory and reveal the secret hidden for all ages until Christ came. The gates are open wide to all, all who will repent and trust in this good Savior. It is not only for the select few, the ethnically chosen, the ultra-religious to enter the kingdom of God, but salvation belongs to everyone who would repent and trust this Savior, period. And that's the main idea of our text this morning. Salvation comes to anyone who in humility will repent and forsake their sins and trust in him. Luke 19, 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was so small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He had gone to be with, he has gone to be with the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. 
So observations, first off, we need to see what is a tax collector. Uh, During this time of Roman rule, the tax collector was really the vilest of all sinners to the Jewish people. And the tax collector was really just kind of uh, the the bouncer, so to speak, uh, for the Roman Empire. They would go around and exact these exorbitant taxes on the peoples as another form of suppression. So Rome's economy would continue on. Meanwhile, all of these oppressed peoples would uh, not be able to revolt. Uh, so the tax collector uh, and the tax collector fulfilled this objective very well. Uh, they were considered traitors uh, to the people of Israel, enemies and social outcasts, like the lepers that Jesus had healed a few chapters beforehand. They were in that type of class. They were considered part of the lowliest of sinners, Put in our modern-day context, right, this would be like putting them in the category of, say, a drug addict or a serial rapist or a murderer, the most wicked of sinners, the unredeemable, those that do not deserve the salvation of the Lord because they are so far gone. But, of course, we know these are all false distinctions, as we'll soon see, but they are the ones we like to drum up when we want to make comparisons from our own life to help make ourselves look better. We forget that the ground is level at the cross, for the cross reveals that we are all equally guilty before a holy God. But still, we like to compare ourselves to others, saying, at least I'm not like that murderer, or I'm from Georgia, like that meth head, or like a prostitute, as if that should somehow make us feel better about the current state of our hearts as we stand before this God. Instead, the narrative is recorded for us to show us that God's heart is for the most wicked and vile of sinners because no one is outside of the reach of our Lord. The good news of the gospel is for the outcast, which we are all outcasts. We are all separate from this great God until he came to us and rescued us. That's his righteousness. God's heart is moved for anyone that will earnestly seek seek him. Luke 19, one through four. He entered Jericho and was passing through and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. That didn't stop Zacchaeus. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. So as we read Luke's account, which is the only gospel that actually records this event, uh, we notice something unusual about Zacchaeus. First off, as soon as the narrative begins, we see this man acting rather peculiar for someone of such wealth and stature. Zacchaeus ran to see Jesus and completely degraded himself by climbing up into a tree. Right? This is obviously strange behavior for a wealthy man, much less uh, one of such stature. He's acting like a child. But as we'll see in a moment... This very behavior is giving us a clue. Behavior that degrades oneself to elevate God should be normal for a believer, right? Think David, who without a care or restraint was dancing before the Lord because he was bringing the Lord glory and praise and honor. He could care less what others were thinking. He wanted to worship his Lord. The very fact that Zacchaeus was running to see Jesus tells us that something different was actually pressing in on him. Something's going on. Something extraordinary was happening in the secret places of his heart. This undignified behavior gives us a glimpse into the heart that Jesus actually responds to. And like I said earlier, the Lord led us to Lord led Luke to write about all of these events that were happening around surrounding this event so that we could build on these pictures. And the first one I want to build on is that of a child. So if you look right back, we're in, we're in Luke 18. If you look right back in Luke 18, 15 through 17, what do we see? We see this picture of a child. 
Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Like children, we must come to our Lord with all humility and lay down our pride and any type of arrogant view that we may have about ourselves. They just come, children just come to us, right? Whenever they want to show love and affection, and I I can't help but get over this because it even happened yesterday. My middle son, Uriah, is, if you know him, is just a joy, a, a little, his heart for, to show love to you. He is the one that will affectionately tell KJ, oh, mommy, you look beautiful. Like, I like your hair down. He's four. Like, what, what four-year-old notices those things? Anyway, he notices all of those things and loves to show you love at the most odd times. Yesterday, case in point, I'm milling cherry wood, be jealous, men, uh, slabs in my, and they're, you know, they're, they're put aside, but I am covered literally head to toe. I'm sweating like crazy. I'm nasty. I got sawdust all over me. Rye comes outside and he just wants to show affection. So he runs over to me and starts planting kisses on my leg with sawdust. Why? Because he loves me. He has no care what anybody else is thinking. He just wants to show love. And that is the nature by which we approach our heavenly father. We could care less what others think. With hearts that are unhindered and fully submitted, we must approach the Lord to receive his mercy. Zacchaeus threw off all social norms, humiliated himself around not only those that despised him, but also his peers, all so he could momentarily get a glimpse of Jesus. He was brought to the end of himself where the wealth did not deliver. The social standing with the Romans seemed as nothing, and he was searching for something greater. His, his world must have been crumbling in on him, which led him to desperation. His heart was like the psalmist when he said, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Someone greater was now here, and nothing would stop Zacchaeus from coming to Jesus. Nothing. He was learning like the Apostle Paul declared, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Once he beheld his Lord, nothing would ever be the same. Is that you this morning? Has Christ become all to you or does he still fit neatly into your packaged week, right? Is he just a part of it or does he consume all of it? Have you come to the realization that it is all for Christ or it is nothing at all? period. There is nothing greater in this universe, no greater meaning in life than knowing and being known by our heavenly father and his savior, Jesus Christ. And Christ's words should ring into our hearts this morning. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Those who earnestly seek him. The promise of the Lord is that he will not turn away any that come to him in humility and repent. So I just want to pause for a second. I don't know if this is for you, but as you've kind of gone through this series, right, of bad religion, and, and, you've, and you see this picture of Zacchaeus, you recognize that um, you fall far short. See, I want, you to, I want you to note something. All of time and existence weaved together so that Zacchaeus could come to know the Christ. When Jesus declares to him right there, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I I must stay at your house. 
That was our Heavenly Father saying, now's the time for salvation to be here. He worked all of history for that one moment for Zacchaeus' life. Don't miss that. It's not just for us to just read and to gloss over, but angels were celebrating in heaven. And so it can be for you. Do you realize that all time in history is weaving itself together so that you can have the chance to see this Savior for who he is and throw off your man-made religion and follow after in relationship to this great God that loves you, that adores you, that desires a relationship with you? That's the greatness of this God. He can do that. He's providentially in control. Also, God's heart is for anyone who will obey him. We see this in 19, 5 through 6. What happens? Jesus declares to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, didn't come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Luke tells us that Zacchaeus received him joyfully, and we dare not gloss over it. Go ahead and underline, highlight that word, joyfully. This is a beautiful clue that we, uh, that we could just really just gloss over, uh, but we can't miss this. Perhaps Luke is actually intending for us to see something of a greater reality that's happening. He's peeling back the layers of Zacchaeus' heart to show us the inward change which is already beginning to take place. This joyful reception of Jesus uh, could, be talking, could be talking about faith on Zacchaeus' part. He's not just happy that the famous rabbi is coming to visit his house. I'm sure he was, but it's not just happiness here. This is the same word, joyful uh, faith of rejoicing that is expressed by the apostles after they were beaten by the religious leaders and told not to speak the name anymore. It says that then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. This is the same rejoicing referring to the Ethiopian eunuch after he was baptized by Philip. It said, and when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing, joyful. Therefore, more is happening than is initially seen. This is an inner joy that is welling up no matter the circumstances and can only be expressed by someone who has truly been set free. And it's no doubt that he was a great honor to host Jesus, but his actions seemed different from the Pharisees, whom Jesus also ate with and went into their homes, right? And when they, he went in there, he always drove in with big crowds, right? And the Pharisees probably enjoyed all of the attention they were getting. But they weren't joyful to see and spend time with Jesus, but just like others during his ministry, were only using him for their own sinful purposes. I have a wonder if that's you today. They had little regard for Jesus, whereas Zacchaeus showed great honor. No, this is a complete contrast because there was no fanfare, not to mention all those that were present could not believe Jesus would step foot in that sinner's house. Zacchaeus is undeterred by any of the criticisms. He welcomes Jesus in with great humility, and as we'll see in a moment, a repentant heart. But before we move on, we must reflect over another event that happened prior to this story. And that was about Jesus when he encountered the rich young ruler. So turn with me back to 18, 8 through, 18 through 27. It says, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad 
and for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. But don't miss this because this has application for us. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left home or house or wife or brother or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come. But what we need to see right there is in verse 26, what is impossible with man is possible with God. That's the reality that we stand in. The same offer was given to Zacchaeus that was given to Zacchaeus was given to the rich young ruler, but he could not find it in his heart to fully obey. He was too tethered to the wealth that he couldn't let go of that to follow and pursue after the Christ. But like the rich young ruler, Zacchaeus had great wealth. But notice the difference. He threw it all away. It was as nothing to him, so much so that he was willing to become impoverished to make amends with those that he had wronged over time. He wanted to go after them. Christ became everything to him because the Spirit was clearly working on his heart. And God is for anyone whose heart is repentant. Luke 19, 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, the Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and I have defrauded anyone of anything. I restore it fourfold. In the last part of our section this morning, we see the outflow of what should happen with someone who truly encounters Christ. They respond differently, and their lives do not remain the same. We know this is, this is reality of any Christian behavior, right? We cannot stay where we are and where we were. Christ would tell his disciples this very thing when they were making comparisons, right, between those that were big sinners and those that were little sinners, right, comparing it. And Christ declares to them, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish talking to everybody that was there. True repentance is the badge of humility that all believers wear throughout their lives. It's crucial and it's continual. For we know that there is nothing good in us, only that which God produces through us. Christ would speak on this inward life when dealing with the outward walk of a believer, right? He used the analogy of a fruit tree to make his point because you can identify a tree by its fruit and therefore you should be able to recognize a believer by the fruit of their life, right? So for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes nor grapes from picked from bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. We recognize this. So the hallmark of believers' testimony is not whether they said a prayer one day, way back when, but they have nothing to show for it. They haven't changed. Nothing has changed in their life after coming to Christ. Then I would truly challenge any one of us today to reevaluate our relationship with God if nothing has changed, if he requires nothing of you, We're not perfect, only Christ is perfect. Therefore, when we come to him, we enter into a lifelong journey, right? And and it has slow growth at times. It could even equal stagnation at points and times in your life where you're just in open rebellion, sinful rebellion against your heavenly father. But ultimately, you should see growth happening. Our lives are to be ever-changing. Sure, there can be times of, of this stagnation. But interestingly, this leads us to our final comparison, right? Here Christ is speaking to the crowd and he uses a parable of a tax collector and a Pharisee. So read with me right there in 
Luke 18, 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Sound familiar? Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It kind of makes you wonder, right, if Jesus had Zacchaeus in mind when he's telling the parable, knowing that this is about to happen in his life. The Pharisee found no room for repentance, only pride and arrogance. His own estimation, he thought he was pretty good. And that is the problem with our culture right? God is not asking you to compare yourself with other sinners. He demands that you look at the perfect life of his son and then see where you stand. And in that comparison, we all walk away wanting. We all will be exposed for what we truly are, wretched sinners. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the one who finds hope is the one who recognizes their sin and escapes the judgment by fleeing into the forgiving arms of a loving Savior that has paid for the penalty of their sins. In the parable that Jesus told, this is what the tax collector found. And it is what the real tax collector Zacchaeus found in Christ standing right before him. So now listen to the beautiful declaration of Christ gives, which is the pinnacle of this entire passage. So don't miss it. Today, salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Salvation is the mission of Christ. It is the very purpose for which he came. And although Zacchaeus was in the bloodline of Abraham, he became a true heir of Abraham when he showed faith in God, like Abraham who believed the Lord and he counted to it, it to him as righteousness. Genesis fifteen six. Zacchaeus would never be the same. But the question for you this morning is, are you the same? Are you still playing the games with God? Are you justifying your sin before him and making comparisons to other sinners? It won't work. Last time I checked, God is not making the same distinctions we are, for he declared that all sinners whose names are not written in the book of life will be thrown into the lake of fire, Revelation 2015. We dare not miss that. We dare not miss that. It's not a comparison game. The only question is whether you are the Lord's or not. Because if you are in Christ, he will not lose one of his sheep. That's the beautiful promises of the gospel to you. John 17, as he prays for you and me today, in thousand years ago, 2,000 years ago, he's praying for you that he's not gonna lose a one of his sheep. That's a beautiful promise. So how do we apply this? How are you truly running after the Lord in this moment is the question I want you to write down. How are you truly running after the Lord in this moment? Can you say that you are? Let the Holy Spirit search you. Let him lay you bare in comparison to his word. Are you engaged in all the spiritual disciplines? Are you praying, fasting, Bible reading? Are you memorizing scripture with the rest of us? Are you seeking times of solitude? Are you evangelizing the lost that was your command? Are you discipling others to raise them up in, the, in this beautiful relationship that we have with God? Or like most of us this morning, myself included, we know where we're lacking. 
It's time to repent from the, from the Lord and get a game plan working on how you are going to follow the Lord again in these areas. How are you engaged in accountable relationships to other believers so that they can help you in this journey? God gave us the church for a reason so that we could lock arms with one another and fulfill this mandate that we've been called to do. It's a beautiful relationship. What sins are gripping you and preventing you from fully obeying God? What are these pet sins, idols like comfort, money, power, pride, gossip, slander? We have already spoken about the entrapment of comfort and complacency. It must be ruthlessly fought in a believer's life. Let's pray that if the Lord should come back today, he would find us be a working people, not standing idly by. And this final question is for the person that doesn't know God. Is your life marked by true change? If you can't be assured of your salvation because you've been playing church or you've been relying on a, on a lackluster player, prayer life that's, that isn't going anywhere, if you don't see any movement in your life to look more like this heavenly father that we've been talking about, this beautiful savior, then perhaps this is for you. As we work through the text, you cannot find the markers of true belief and repentance. You know a lot about Christ, but you don't know him. So the declaration is for you. Hebrews 4, 7, again, he appoints a certain day, today. Saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Let's pray. Father, I know that there are some here, Lord God, as there are every week, those that do not know you. And unfortunately, so many of the time, those that do not know you, and they come looking a lot like a Christian. Lord, they've been playing church. But at the end, they're not going to play you. Lord God, I just pray for them. Lord God, that they would know you. That they would see a real relationship come to fruition today. Heavenly Father, do not let them settle in their sin of false piety, Lord God. Do not let them be the Pharisee that we've been talking about over these last seven weeks. Looked all good on the outside, had it all together, had all the check marks, Lord God, but inside was death. Don't let them stay there. Father God, I pray that just the uneasiness in the chair right now, can't stay still, Lord God. Lord, but life is what you give now. Father God, so I just pray for them, Lord God, that they would repent of their sin, that they would trust and that they would follow you, Lord God, and that they would give up their masquerade. Stop trying to fake it, but to just be real with you. You already know the status of their heart and you've already declared, I love you, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest from my false assumptions, rest from my works-based religion. Rest from trying to pull myself up by the bootstraps when I can't pull myself up, period. I am dead in my trespasses and sins. It is by grace that you have been saved, period. There's nothing else. But there's some here this morning, Lord God, that they're just, 
they know you, Lord God, but they've just they've, they've walked away. Father God, they've chosen to go their own way, Lord God, and they find themselves steeped deep in sin. and they need deliverance, Lord God. They need to know that they can repent and turn back to you, Lord God. The gift and invitation is for them as well. Father God, so work on all of our hearts. We know that we fall short, Lord God. We know that there's plenty to do, Father God, but we know that you are going to move. We know that you're going to act and respond. Do that. Jesus, we give this time to you. It's in your name we pray.